Timothy, we take a book of the Bible, we walk through it, gleaning the truths that God has for us, and we're coming uh, to our conclusion of the book of James. Uh, One verse today, very, very important concept, very important verse, James chapter 5, verse 12, and then when we come to our prayer in just a moment, we're going to pray for Nikki Carpenter and for CJ and for their family. They're leaving Wednesday uh, for Southeast Asia. They'll be visiting the Morrisons, and so we need to pray for them. The whole family's going, so pray for quiet on the aircraft and all the rest of it. Yeah, okay. Let's read the word together. You follow along. Verse 12, chapter 5. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. God, our Father, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that you, who are faithful and true forever, that you have given us this precious word that is also faithful and true. And so, Lord, we ask you to help us in our understanding of your word today. This is not necessarily an easy subject for us to to take in. It's just necessary. It's important. And so, Lord, I pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would take your word and you would bring it to bear on our own lives, that we would, we would increasingly become people who are truthful, utterly truthful in our communication, so that we will not fall under condemnation. Oh, God, open our eyes to behold the wonderful things that are in this little verse of Scripture. And then, Father, I pray that you would uh, be with CJ and Nikki as they will be traveling this coming Wednesday for a couple of days, getting overseas to visit the Morrisons, our dear family serving in Southeast Asia. I pray that their time would be encouraging uh, to the Morrisons who've been sent out and who encounter uh, all of the different kinds of challenges that one does on the field. And so I pray that you would send them along their way safely and bring them back safely, but even more, anoint them with your Holy Spirit that they might give strength and encouragement to this dear family that we love. And so, Father, we thank you now. We pray that you would open our eyes as we study your word, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you here today have a problem with lying? How many of you just lied? (laughs) We're going to unpack this incredible verse of James and it, it may not seem what it, what it appears at first, but basically it is a passage, it is a verse that deals with truthfulness. Now, he's talking about oaths, swearing oaths. We'll, we'll come to define that in just a few moments, but 
let me give you a picture of what that looks like in everyday life. I just made a statement, and so I will put it up on the board, something like this. We've all got a problem with lying. No one in this room would see himself or herself as a liar. We think it's the other person's problem. Now, I heard some amens on that. Now, here's what happens. In, in, in order to supplement that basic statement, in order to, to make it more reliable, oftentimes we will add oaths or swearing to it. Now, again, I'm going to define this in just a moment. It may not be what you think, but I'm going to show you a statement. It's a little bit of a, 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 an overreach, but this, it, this would not be uncommon of the way that we would try to bolster what we're saying in everyday conversation. So here's the same statement with oaths added to it. And I've highlighted those. To be honest, we've all got a problem with lying. I swear. You can say I swear to goodness, I swear to whatever. The temple, I swear to the gold of the temple. That's what Jesus dealt with. It's tough, and that's no lie. Truth be told, is there any doubt you're telling the truth? No one in this room would see himself or herself as a liar. Really, honest to Pete, no joke. The truth of the matter is that we think it's the other person's problem, and I'm not kidding. Say it with me. Cross my heart and hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. The very reason we add these oaths to our everyday conversation is to put emphasis. That's one thing. And and if we're emphasizing, that is not totally wrong. I just knocked my glasses off, Ed. No, Jan's quicker than you. So, thank you. (laughs) That is the truth. But we add these to make them sometimes more believable. And the reason we do that, hear me now, is because that we live in an atmosphere in which lying has become a part of how we communicate with each other. Now, why do people lie? I found this infographic last week, and I thought, I I, I don't always share these kinds of things in picture, but I I thought it was a good thing to go through. Now, mind you, it is a secular infographic that tells of surveys that have been done. So, the question is asked, why do people lie? And when we come to the end of this infographic, and how to tell when they do. All right. Are you ready? Everybody lies sometimes. All right, you got that? Everybody lies sometimes. Now, I said this was secular. I'm going to show how this is a biblical statement as well. Did you know that the average child begins to tell lies between the ages of two and three? Parents, let me ask you something. Did you, I hope you don't say yes to this, Did you have to teach your children to lie? 
boy, they just come by it naturally, don't they? And that, too, is a biblical fact. Let's move on to the next one. When meeting someone new, the average person will lie two to three times in ten minutes. Wow. You, you know why this seems like a wow thing? It's, be, it's because that many of us, if not most of us, have come to accept these little lies, white lies, just shading the truth ever so much as being so normal that we don't even think of it as a lie. Most people lie about four times a day. That adds up to about 1,460 lies every year. Now, the next one. I'm just going to ask you, and I don't want you to answer because uh, I want to save your marriage, okay? (laughs) Who lies most often, men or women? Please don't answer on the grounds that it might incriminate you. Listen to this. Men lie an average of six times a day. Women lie an average of three times a day. Now, look at the little bubbles there. What do men lie about? As, as best I can tell, you see over on the far left on the top, that looks like a cigarette. I think men many times lie to other people about their state of addiction. Oh, I can quit Anytime I want. One of the biggest lies out there. They also lie, see the heart, they lie about love. The next one, they lie about their strength or about how often they work out. Down on the lower left, they lie about money. How much they make, how much they're in debt. Sometimes they lie to their own families. The next one is a tape measure. They lie about their height. Mm. Then they lie about their possessions. Now, on the other hand, women. You know, I, I, I was really thinking about this last week. Three times. In fact, in other words, men lie twice as much as women. And men, women are, are, are they typically will lie about... Again, their relationships, their love. And do you see what's in the middle? Scales. They lie about their weight. Now, I thought I would take this height thing and weight thing. I'm not going to ask you to do it. But next time you have opportunity, take out your driver's license. How many of you are liars? (laughs) Well, that's how much I used to weigh 20 years ago. I just never changed it. Well, there's a reason And women lie also about their age. Let's move on. We lie for a lot of reasons. Uh, This article had so many different reasons, but again, the infomercial just summarizes it. But among the most common, we we lie to make ourselves look good. 33% of people admit to lying on their resumes. We lie to get out of trouble. Mm -mm -mm. You think just kids do that? 40% of patients say that they've lied to their doctor about following a prescribed treatment plan. 
And you know what? Your doctor knows you're lying. <laughs> most common reason. Oh, let me go back to this. I didn't even hit this. The most common lie told by both genders is right there. You saw it, didn't you? Nothing's wrong. I'm fine. To avoid hurting somebody's feelings, 80% of women say that they sometimes tell, tell harmless white lies. Now, I'm not saying to blurt out everything that comes across your mind. Please, use discretion. But this is extremely common. But not all lies are harmless. Get this, students, look at this. Nine in ten middle schoolers Certainly, this would not be among Christian middle schoolers. Admit to regularly cheating on homework. Some are costly. Over 15 million Americans are victim to identity fraud annually, costing about $50 billion in damages, and some impact relationships. Look at this. 57% of men admit to infidelity in a past or present relationship. 54% of women admit to the same thing. Unfortunately, the average person can only spot a lie about 50% of the time, so this infomercial even gives you ways that you can spot a lie. First of all, first of all online. Here's what pros like criminal investigators use to spot a liar. Online liars tend to say you are. They avoid using the word I as much as possible. They use negation. Instead of saying, I'm happy, they would say, I'm not sad, okay? And then they try too hard to be honest, prefacing things with phrases like, to be honest. Here's what pros, like criminal investigators, use to spot a liar in person. Now, some of you are going to take this Work it to your advantage. I, I hope that it will be a conviction to you. They will, a person in person who's lying will avoid eye contact and make themselves as small as possible. Have you ever been correcting your child and you know they're lying and what are they not going to do? They're not going to look at you and they're going to make themselves as small as possible. Speak without inflection and give rambling answers. We get tripped up in long conversations like that. Or they will touch, now this is interesting, they'll touch their mouth or their face, but they will not touch their chest or their heart. So that's what a secular study says, all right? But let's go to the scripture because we're, we're interested in more than just what a secular study would find, why do we lie? The Bible tells us, and it gives us a clear information, the heart of the problem is the problem with the heart, and it's universal. Jeremiah 17, 9, all the way back in the Old Testament, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's why we need redemption in Jesus Christ. Because that is the default nature of all men. Psalm 116, the psalmist says, I said in my alarm, all men are liars. And he wasn't lying. 
Jesus said it like this in Matthew 12. I just said that the problem is a problem with the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And in Romans, he tells us why. Why? Because all of men, all of mankind, they've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And then later he says, let God be found true, which he is, though every man be found a liar. Let me just put this in front of you. I don't know about you, but this last week, I'm talking about the past seven days, things have happened in relationships around us. And I'm not talking about just at arm's link in the news. I'm talking about things that have happened to people that we know. And Jan and I have found ourselves wondering, where, where does that come from? Where does that all start? Do you understand that every, listen, every problem, every ill in our world came about as the result of a lie? That's what got it started. The serpent, by the way, he's called by Jesus the father of lies. He's the original murderer, and he is the father's of, father of lies. And he also rebukes some religious people because he's, he said, basically, you're, you're his child. You inherit his nature. And he said to the woman, you will not surely die. A direct contradiction to what God had told to them. It is serious. And so that introduces the thought, and we're going to break it down. You see right there in your outline, we're just going to go line by line through this verse of Scripture and discover some things about it. James says this, But above all, my brothers... Now basically by above all, he's not saying it's more important, but he's just saying, look, stop, here, this is important. But he also addresses... Christians, so that we don't get to the point where we think this is not about us. This is clearly written to Christians. It's not just that we are held, Christian, to a higher standard. Listen to me very carefully. We are held to a new standard. And this is what James is all about. If you just read through James and you don't really understand where he's coming from, all you're going to see is a collection of ought-tos and shoulds. And you're going to come away thinking, as many have through the years, that James is just legalistic, and it's not. You have missed the point if that's what you see in James. And not only that, you've missed the point of all of the teaching of Scripture in salvation. Salvation is, is, is the fullness. It doesn't just mean that we have been delivered from the penalty of sins. It means that we are progressively being delivered from the power of indwelling sin. That is the process of what the Bible calls sanctification. It is the working out. This is one of the greatest verses for this. It's the working out in everyday life of what God has worked into you by redeeming you and saving you from your sins. It's not working for our salvation. 
It's not making deals with God. Oh, I'll, I'll try to be truthful. I'll try not to lie, Lord. Would you take me into your heaven? No, no, no. It's growing out of a relationship with him in the first place, working out what he has worked in. And it is a key part of the scriptural teaching on truth. Now, this is, this is a lot. I just want you to write down the references. And we're, we're going to, to look at this. And, and again, try to talk about this is important so that you and I understand who we are in Christ. This is our identity in Christ. At one time, everybody in this room was dead, spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, I want you to look at some of the phrases there. In which you walked, walking dead men, spiritually dead, but you walked in them. Now, look at this following the course of the world and following who else? The prince of the power of the air. That spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. But something happened. When you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he made you alive together with him, that is Christ. By grace you have been saved. Write down the reference to this. So out of that, not before it to earn it, but out of that he calls you and me to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. And he tells us to do two things. Put off the old self. Put it off. Put off the old self. And he says put on the new self created in the likeness of God. Now what I thought was fascinating I went back as I was studying this, and I, I knew this is what I wanted to talk about. This is the whole process. We don't earn our salvation. This grows out of our salvation. But guess what? The next thing, you see it ends with 24, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. What does verse 25 tell us that we need to do? Can you guess? It could say a lot of things about the life in Christ, but look at what it says. Speaking the truth in love. Because truth is so important. That's how we grow up. We're not speaking the truth in love, folks. We are not going to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And then a little bit later on in verse 25, he says it again. Put away falsehood. Each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. See, when you're saved, you were born again. You became a new creation in Christ. And the rest of your life in, in this life, on this earth, is going to be spent putting off the old and putting on the new. And one of the first ways we do that is to walk in the truth. Okay? Let's go on to the next phrase. He says, above all, my brothers, do not swear by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. Now, a couple of things that this is not talking about. First thing it's not talking about, it's not talking about cussing. Does that mean you can cuss? No. It just means that there are other verses that deal with this. Back in Ephesians, again, chapter 4, verse 29. Don't let any, I, I love the, the, the literal meaning of this, don't let any rotten speech come out of your mouth. 
What kind of speech does need to come out of your mouth? Edifying speech, building up kind of speech. And let's face it, that assumes the speaking the truth in love. So it's not talking first about cussing. It's also, listen to this, it is also not a blanket prohibition against swearing of an oath or making a vow. I think it's important you hear that. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that. But there are some, the Quakers, that's what they did. They would not go into a courtroom and swear. That's not what it's talking about. It's okay for you to go into a courtroom and swear an oath. (laughs) Needed to complete that sentence. It's okay, husband and wife, students, one of these days when you're standing before the preacher or or the judge, it's okay to make a vow. The thing that the Bible prohibits is not the making of a vow or the taking of an oath. It prohibits making a foolish vow. Anybody of you, we're not going to go back there, but just write down the name. I can say it without stumbling over, Jephthah, foolish, foolish vow. So he just says, don't make those foolish vows. There are all kinds of instances in the Old Testament and on into the New where vows are important, oaths are important. By the way, did you know even God has sworn an oath? So it can't be talking about that. Here's what it's talking about. He's writing to to people who've come out of the Jewish religion. And they all would have known that the Jews were very, very adept at making an entire system that would allow them to lie. Okay? And and so, for example, and we we will look, again, it's a lengthy passage. We'll look in just a minute at some of the passages. Let's just throw it up there right now. Matthew 23, 16 through 22, if you want to go back and look that up later. But basically, Jesus, and I'm going to give you another one, not only the Matthew 23, but one out of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is talking about how foolish it is for you religious people to think that swearing by something in the temple lets you off the hook. And that's basically what they were doing. You couldn't swear to God or that that obligated you. But you could swear by maybe the temple or for sure by the gold of the temple. And he said, that's foolish. Who sanctifies what? It's, it's all the same. You don't need to do that. The next one I told you is Matthew chapter 5. And this is where James comes to this, and it's a commentary on this passage of Scripture, Jesus just said, look, people, you do not need to add to your words by swearing an oath. All you need to do is let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Basically, here, here is what the, uh, the, the Jews were doing. It, it's, it's something that we've come to do in our culture to make it okay to lie. What is that? What do we do to make it okay to lie? We cross our fingers. 
that, that's, that's just a, a, an old fable, an old wives' tale or whatever. But somehow it's the same kind of idea. People are always looking for a loophole in the truth. So let me ask a couple of questions. I, I want you to just think. You don't need to blurt it out necessarily, and I'm not going to go through a whole lot of these. What are some lies that have been told to you that grow out of our culture? Maybe you bought into those. Maybe, maybe the church, they're making inroads into the evangelical church. Let me give you just a couple, about three. Here's one of the biggest. Man is basically good. The teaching is very subtle. Man is basically good. It's only his environment, cultural situations that turn people bad. That permeates not only culture, but it's begun to permeate Christianity. How else can you explain what Michael Horton has called the religion of America today is moralistic, therapeutic deism, where we believe there's a God, of course we do, but that God is focused on us. As long as we are good, he's fo focused on making our lives as happy as they can be. So Jesus has become a life coach. He's become Someone to help you make your own life better. Folks, Jesus is not your rudder. He's your redeemer. That's one lie. Here's another lie. There is no absolute truth. Whatever is true for you is true, and whatever is true for me is true even if it contradicts the facts. You see, culture views truth as something inside of us. So you need to follow this. That is subject to change. My truth is my truth, but it's subject to change according to how I feel. Scripture views truth as something outside of us which we can believe, but we can never change. We don't create truth. We discover truth. And truth is true for all people in all places at all times. Growing out of that, I, I'm going to home in on a particular topic. There are so many ways that these things can be applied. For example, we've had to make stands because of cultural pressure in, in, in the years past. Stands on the sanctity of life. You, you would think that that would just be a no-brainer, right? Or things like the sanctity of marriage. I came across, and it was really in studying for a, a totally different thing, one of the best articles that I have read. You can Google this and download it. And uh, 
This woman, Jane Robbins, has written this. Graduate of Harvard University, she is a, has a law degree. And I'm, I'm just going to quote, I, I would encourage you to pick it up and read it. I've read the whole thing. It's, it's excellent. Now, th- this is one of those applications of how if spoken enough, often enough, and loudly enough, truth, untruth, excuse me, begins to permeate even the evangelical church. So, so listen, it, it's, it's not a short quote. The quotes in your worship guide are short. This is not, but every phrase is chock full. And I only do this because I know most of you are not going to download it. You need to hear what she has to say. Western civilization is now gripped by a cultural cyclone that is blowing through such limitations with totalitarian force. Transgenderism has shaken the foundations of all we know to be true. Scientific knowledge is rejected and medical practice co-opted in service of a new quote-unquote reality that gender, quote-unquote, is independent of sex. That males and females of any age, even young children, are entitled to their own transgender self-identification based only on their feelings. That literally every individual and every segment of society, this is what we are seeing, folks, must bow to their chosen identity at risk of losing reputation, livelihood, and even freedom itself. Remarkably, this revolution is happening without any credible scientific evidence to support it. The concept of changing one's biological sex is, of course, nonsense. As sex is determined by unalterable chromosomes, an individual, this is, This may be hard because of what is coming at us from our culture, even in the evangelical church. An individual can change his hormone levels and undergo surgery to better imitate the opposite sex, but a male on the day of his conception will remain a male on the day of his death. And as discussed below, an idea that there is a real personal trait called gender that challenges or invalidates the identity significance of biological sex is equally fallacious. But the absence of genuine evidence is simply ignored and false evidence is created to validate the mania. I'm tempted to read much more. Please go to this. And, and just see what it see what it has to say. And that's why when James talks about us needing truth, we have never needed it more. So he goes on. 
to say simply this, let your yes be yes and your no, no. We are to be people of honesty and integrity. Growing out of God's absolute truth in his word. Our truthfulness should be so consistent and dependable that we never need an oath to support it. A simple yes or a simple no should suffice. And that's what God wants. He said, I desire truth in the inmost parts. Why is this truth an absolute requirement? What does it go back to? Do you remember which commandment deals with telling the truth? Number nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, Josh McDowell came out with a book years ago. It's out of print. Incredible series called Right from Wrong. And he talked about how to teach this, particularly children, because what children first learn is, is a law. They learn a precept. And, and, and he says in that book, and rightly so, the Bible indicates this too, that you will never ever get what we want to get at as followers of Christ by simply giving a negative law. Don't do this. Because, again, what you're going to do just like what the, the Jews did. You're going to create loopholes. How far can I go and still keep the commandment, kind of? And we lie to ourselves when we do that. So he says, don't just, the negative commandment is don't lie. Why? Let's put it in the positive. There's a principle. We tell the truth. That's what James is saying. He's not just saying don't lie. He's just saying tell the truth. Be consistent in your integrity. But that's not far enough. If you just tell your kids or your grandkids, don't lie. There's a positive side to that. Tell the truth. What's the ultimate reason why? You know this. The three lenses. What's the ultimate reason that we tell the truth? Because our God who has redeemed us is truth. Don't lie. Tell the truth in all of your dealings because God is truth. It's not just that God is truthful. He is truth truth. What did Jesus say in John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You see, it always comes back to the person, the person of God, always goes back to God. He wants us increasingly to become more like him and more conformed to his image, and that's why truth is so important. But James says it's also uh, important for another reason. Look at the last phrase in the scripture and also on your outline. So that you may not fall under condemnation. So what does he mean? John MacArthur, boy do I like John MacArthur. John MacArthur says this is referring to people who are constant liars and their place, scripture after scripture, they will not have a place in heaven. So it's t- he says it's talking about ultimate judgment. But I go back, I have to disagree. Who am I to disagree with John MacArthur? But look at the context. He says, my brothers, he's talking about you and I falling under a kind of condemnation when we fall into not telling 
the truth. We know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So could this be the kind of loving but sometimes severe discipline that the Lord brings upon people who follow after Jesus Christ? Like the Corinthian church, for this reason some of you are weak and some of you are sick and some of you sleep. He's talking about believers who are undergoing a very, very severe discipline. So let me give you, as as we wrap this up, I'm going to give you four things. This is not on your notes, but I'll give you time to write these things down because I think it's so important. God's commands, his precept, the negative, his principle, the positive, going back to the person of God himself, he always gives those for our protection and for our provision. And how does telling the truth help us with those two things? Protection and provision. First thing, it protects from guilt and provides for a clear conscience. This is why you ought to tell the truth and you ought to teach the truth. Protects from guilt and provides for a clear conscience. This is not only with other people, this is with God. Protects from guilt. You don't always have to be looking over your shoulder. Wondering who's going to find out. It provides for a clear conscience. Second thing. Protect from shame and provide for a sense of accomplishment. Oh, the, the, the illustrations are legion. Lance Armstrong the athlete who was shamed after has found out that he did drugs. Politics, I, I, don't, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> Richard Nixon, Bill Clinton, I'm, I'm talking about obvious. Now We know that what's the favorite word uh, of a politician? Spin. Everybody puts spin on it. Nobody can agree about anything. Actors and people of prominence who lied and who bribed to get their children into prominent universities. I I just, devastating on careers. The shame that goes with that. I hope they're feeling a sense of shame, but the sense of accomplishment. If you cheat, you'll know you cheated, and it will not give you that sense of accomplishment. A third thing, protect from the cycle of deceit and provide for your reputation of integrity, the cycle of deceit. It happened with David. He sinned, and then he lied to cover it up, and then he lied to cover it up. It's a cycle that we can get into very, very easily. We want to provide. We want other people to to, to believe, to know us as people of integrity. It's an old story about the young seminarian, guy that went to seminary, who was preaching down at a local rescue center. It was years ago, he'd take the bus down every night, and he would, after his classes, after his study, and he would preach to the people in this rescue center. Get off the bus, go preach, get on the bus, and go back. And he did this for several weeks, and one, one night he got off the bus, and when he gave his money to the bus driver, Looked down at his change after he had walked off. The bus was still there. 
and the bus driver had given, given him a quarter too much. He was tired. He looked at it and he said, it's just a quarter. He probably won't even notice that it's gone. But he thought, no, I need to do the right thing. And so he turned around, went back, and he said, sir, you, you gave me too much change. And the bus driver said, I know. I did it on purpose. I know where you're from, and I know you've been going down to preach. In a couple of nights, I slipped in on the back row. You didn't see me. But I listened to what you said about the change that the gospel can bring into a person's life. And I don't have that, but I wanted to see if it had brought a real change into your life. Would you tell me about this Jesus? Reputation of integrity. How important is that? The last thing is this. Protect from ruined relationships and provide for trusting relationships. I cannot tell you of the times when I've sat with a couple counseling the devastation of sin on the part of one or the other. The ruined relationship, sometimes it's not ruined, sometimes it can be resolved. But the reality of ruined relationships and provide for trusting relationships. Once that trust is broken, it takes, students, listen to me, it takes a long time to be restored. Let me end with this. What's our only hope? Psalmist says, Who can ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and who does not swear deceitfully. So how you doing? Are you going to ascend the holy hill of the Lord? For years I read that and I was frustrated. I really was. I thought, I'm trying, but I, I know myself I can slip so easily into all manner of sin, including lying and deceiving. So what's my hope? Do you realize that Psalm is really not talking about you and me first? It's talking about someone else who has kept his hands pure, clean, and his heart pure. He's never sworn falsely. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors that the King of glory may come in. He's the one who has ascended the holy hill of God. And he's the one by his gospel who says, if you will believe in me and find yourself in me, then you may ascend with me to the holy hill of God. Would you bow your heads? Father, this message today has first of all been an exhortation to believers about living out of who we are in Christ and learning to be more truthful. Father, ultimately it's a, also an exhortation for those who are not savingly joined to Christ, to those who have no chance of getting into heaven, of, of ascending the holy hill of God based on their own work, their own merit, their own worthiness. But thank you, Father, that there is one who has ascended, the one that you've sent, even your son, Jesus Christ. 
lived a perfect life, died on Calvary's cross, was resurrected, and is at your right hand right now. And he offers not a salvation by works, but a salvation by faith. So Lord, help those that are not joined to you savingly to turn away from their sin and trust in Christ today, this very moment, and to walk out of this place knowing that they are freed from the penalty of sin. They've been set on a path now to walk in a walk that progressively releases them from the power of sin. Someday we will be released from the presence of sin and how grateful we are for that. So help us, Lord, to respond in the specific ways that your Holy Spirit would direct us from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.